Long ago in ancient Mesopotamia, a civilization laid the foundations for Christianity, but in ways one might not expect. Hosts Denise and Buddy Wood go on a spiritual and thought-provoking journey, uncovering and exploring some of Christianity's hidden truths. Join us as we unveil and explore the mystery that is the remnants of Ur. Welcome to Remnants of Ur. My name is Denise Wood. And I'm Buddy Wood. In episode two, we revealed that God showed us that Jesus was not a sacrificial lamb. God does not need blood. That is an ancient religious practice that was brought with Abram out of Mesopotamia. Jesus was a gift to humanity. He is the Prince of Peace, and he was murdered by men full of the spirit of religion. His disciples proceeded to turn his death into a blood-sacrificial religion, and his teachings were lost in all of the commotion. This is episode three, and now we will begin taking a journey through the book, Remnants of Ur, one chapter at a time. The first chapter, called The Vineyard, is an admonition to Christian leaders. According to the prophet Isaiah, the vineyard is a spiritual place prepared by God, a perfectly constructed vineyard for God's people to show the true nature of God to the world. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In the first century, Jesus told a parable of the vineyard to the religious leaders in the temple. Christ spoke of how they were the husbandmen of the vineyard and they were beating and killing the ones sent by God to collect the revenue of the vineyard. In the parable, Christ even predicted his own death by the religious leaders and said that God would destroy them and give the vineyard to others. For the past 2,000 years, the vineyard has been managed by Christian leaders, and now God is asking you, Christian leaders, to give an account on how you are managing the vineyard. Are you spiritually displaying a real and living God to a dying world? Or are you entangled in your religion like the men who murdered the Messiah? I did not write this book because I wanted to. I was commissioned to write this book by the Lord. It is a sword to separate the religious from the spiritual. To illustrate, Buddy is going to share his story. In 1988, Buddy obeyed the voice of God to take a journey across the United States, and it was during that time his eyes were opened to the difference between the spiritual and the religious. I think y'all might remember I had mentioned I had given my uh, heart to God on uh, March 28th, 1984. And I was so thankful for what God had done for me, for the miracle he had done in my life. I struggled with that addiction for a long time. And I could, and, and to be set free and to have all of a sudden Everything looked like brand new. I mean, for, I mean, the, 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 the outdoors, the sunsets, the, the trees, everything looked so beautiful. Life was beautiful. And I was so thankful. And I still am to this day. All I wanted to do was serve God. And that's what I did. 
I just, anything I could find my hand to do, I was doing it. I was handing out gospel tracts. I was going door to door. I got down to Phoenix, Arizona. I was feeding the homeless. I was taking the gospel music to them and, and having little churches, uh, church for, for, for the homeless people and feeding them. I got involved in the prison ministry and I was taking my guitar to the prisons and, and, and doing gospel music for the, for, for the prisoners. And, uh, and I was just busy serving God. And I was a man of prayer. I prayed all the time. I, I was a, a single man. I, I, I went celibate for eight years until I met my wife in, in 19. When we meet? I think I called you in 91. Okay. You we were married me. in 92. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so, I mean, I gave my life to God and I was, I was, I was at, I was serving God. I was God's man. He needed something to do. I, I was at the one raising my hand. Can I do it, God? You know, I, I was that guy. I was truly serving God with a, a with a whole heart. And, uh, and so I had become a man of prayer, of fasting and prayer. I, I did a lot of fasting and a lot of praying. I was constantly seeking God. And, uh, and it became a practice of mine that if I couldn't sleep at night, I would get up and go pray. The, there was a little group of apartments in front of the church I used to go to. And behind that church was a, a little mountain we called Prayer Mountain. And I would hike up there all the time to pray. I liked to, I would go up there early in the morning to watch the sunrise. I'd go up there at night. Uh, in the middle of the night, I would just go up there all the time. I, I spent a lot of time on that mountain praying and seeking God. And so one night I couldn't sleep, and I thought, well, I'm just going to go pray. So I went and I climbed up the top of Prayer Mountain where I could look over the city of Phoenix and was just alone with God there, seeking God's presence. And God started dealing with my heart because I had uh, built a wooden cross that I would carry around town and witness to people with. So not only was I serving God in, in the other facets I had mentioned, I was also had would take this big old wooden cross on my shoulder. It was, I mean, it's huge. It was 12 foot long. The six foot cross piece had a 12 inch scooter tire mounted on the, on the base of that cross. And I'd walk around Phoenix handing out gospel tracks and, uh, praying with people to, uh, receive Christ. That's what I did. That's what, you know, that, that's what I thought we were supposed to do at the time. And that, that's what I was doing. I did it all the time. So anyways, that night I couldn't sleep. I hocked up on the mountain and was seeking God's presence. And God started dealing with my heart about taking that wooden cross and walking across the United States with it. I said, no, I don't want to do that. There's already a guy who does that. I don't want to play second, second fiddle to nobody. And, but yet God wouldn't leave me alone with it. I said, God, don't you know how long it took me to get this little apartment I got? It was a struggle, man. When I left the oil field in Wyoming and went to work, man, I couldn't. It was rough. And I finally got my own apartment and, and I had a nice little job right down the street. And I could walk to work. I could walk to, to, uh, to church. That's all I did is and so I was serving God. If I wasn't serving God, I was working. 
But anyways, God said, yeah, you know, he, of course, he knew what how long hard it was for me to get that apartment. And he was asking me to give that up and walk across the United States with that cross on my shoulder. So after wrestling with God about it for a while, finally, I said, okay, yes, I'll do it. And so I walked off of that mountain. And the first thing I decided to do, well, I'm going to do a 21-day fast as, as spiritual preparation for this journey. So I climbed up in the mountains up above Pace in Arizona and got up there and found a creek that there wasn't much water. It was a pretty dry summers, but I did find a creek with some water in it. And I set up camp next, next to that creek. and it. So I lived on the stagnant water for 21 days. It was drying up pretty quick. Nastiest taste in water. <laughs> My gosh, I can't believe I lived on that. But I did, and I did my fast. And, you know, and I was hoping, you know, I'd read so many books about, you know, Smith Wigglesworth and these great men of God who, you know, did all these great works for God, you know, and I was wanting to do, be like them. And I was thinking, you know, I've heard people doing these long fasts and they'd be seeing angels and, you know, have these great visitations from God. I didn't have none of that. Man, I just sat up there and thought, thought about food for 21 days. But I did the fast. <laughs> and so, but I was really, be all honest about it, I kind of full of myself back then because I really thought that I was going to be, see some great miracles. You know, I thought I was, I was, man, we're, we're going, we're going on this spiritual journey here and we're going to see, yeah, see some you, really. You are the man of God. That's right. I thought, man, I was really going to see some things happen now. Well, so, but it wasn't like that. I left Phoenix with 60 bucks in my pocket. I'm out of my little backpack on the foot of that cross and took off. But even though I didn't see the miracles that I thought I would see, I saw miracles every day in the, in the fact that I was living by, the, um, by divine providence. I was living by the unseen hand of God and the benevolence of man. A, an example of that was walking through the Arizona desert one time, and I was out of water. And believe me, man, it, that Arizona desert is hot because I started in the summertime. I'm, I just, I just went. I think I left uh, like June twenty seventh. I headed out with that cross on my shoulder. So, you know, <laughs> it was hot. It was warm. And this one day, I had run out of water, and I was praying, "Lord, send me some water." And this, uh, and so I was walking along. Pretty soon, this girl pulls up, and she was shaking like a leaf on a tree, just a shaking. And she hands me this paper bag, and she was just a shaking when she handed me that bag. And I, I received it. I said, "Well, thank you so much." I looked in it. There was a gallon of water, and I think maybe a sandwich or something, and I and a twenty dollar bill. I remember that. And this girl says. I saw you walking down the highway, and I stopped and got you a Coke and was bringing it out to you, and God spoke to me loudly and says, I told you to get him some water. And it shook her. <laughs> it shook her up, man. She turned around and went back and got me some water and brought it back and literally was shaken when she handed that to me. 
So that's the example when I say I lived by the unseen hand of God, by divine providence, and by the benevolence of man. And I never begged for money, not once. Completely against it. Preachers beg for money all the time, and it used to that I couldn't stand it. And I swore I would never do that. If God ever called me to do something, I figure he'll provide the way, but I will not. So you found that your carrying the cross became a sword. It did. It did. I didn't, you know, I was like you. I didn't think that there was anything wrong with the church. I knew that I had given my life to God. I knew that God had done a miracle in me. And so I was carrying that cross, and that's what I found, that the cross was a sword separating those who truly love God from those who are simply playing religious games. And I didn't even know that existed until carrying the cross. I mean, I had people who were atheists pull over and bless me and want to talk to me and come out and say, I'm an atheist, I don't even believe in God, but he, they would be. this one man in particular was so impressed with what he saw me doing he wanted to stop and talk to me. But my worst persecution came from re- religious people. I remember that one time this man was, um, he pulled over and he was mad as a hornet at me. And he was ranting and raving, telling me that God already paid the price for my sins and that penance wasn't necessary and that all Catholics are going to hell. And... <laughs> <laughs> and that he was Pentecostal. <laughs> and he, when he got through ripping me a new one, I told him, well, I said, man, I'm, I'm not doing penance. I'm not a Catholic. I'm actually a Pentecostal like you. And his jaw hit the floor. <laughs> he didn't know what to say about it. He didn't know what to think then. You know, but... But that's the thing. Most people, they, they, like I said, they're playing religious games. They're not, they're not uh, hearing from God. They're not seeking God. They don't, you know, they don't even maybe even know that God can communicate with you. That's right. They trust in their religion and what they've been taught instead of trusting in the Most High. Yeah. And yeah. a relationship with Him. Yeah. So. I think the other example that, that is uh, how, how the cross was a sword, like I say, people pulled over all the time to talk to me. And uh, they would bless me. They'd offer me money. They would offer me food, offer me a place to stay. So I was well taken care of while carrying that cross. Like I said, I only left with $60 in my pocket. And I felt like that money wasn't mine. It belonged to God. So I tried to be a very good steward of that money. And so one day while carrying the cross, a, uh, a group of people pulled over and it turned out to be a, a pastor of a church with, uh, uh, with a couple of his uh, people with him. And he was, uh, they was all excited to see me. And we were just talking and having a time alongside the road there, just sharing our faith together like people do who love God. And uh, until he got to talking about 
his church. They just built a brand new church, and the people, they were so excited about that church. And they were so proud of it, telling me all about it, and they telling me where it was at. And as they were talking, I got to calculating in my mind, well, that's... So I said, you know, that's about a day's journey for me with this cross. You don't mind if I slept on your church floor tonight, do you? And man, it was like dropping a wet blanket on that conversation. It's like, whoa. I, I, and then I just apologized and immediately said, oh, I, I'm so sorry. I said, uh, that's okay. I'll, I'll just, I'll just get a, uh, a hotel for tonight, you know. And, uh, and so then the conversation was over and they drove away. The contrast to that is, it's just a few hours later, I was entering a small town and this girl, this woman, she comes uh, driving up in her car just so excited to see me and stops and she had brought me a sack lunch and um and and, and bless her she it was you know all she had I'm certain but she went home and she dug through her fridge and she put together me a lunch and then, you know and then when I went to eat it, well, it was all moldy <laughs> and you know she didn't realize it you know she was giving me the best she had and, you know, she offered me a place to sleep. She offered me, she was so excited, she had to go back to the bar and tell all the people at the bar that the man with the cross was coming. And she just blessed me. And that's the contrast. This woman who has nothing, but she was so excited to see the man with the cross, to see God's servant. And she wanted to bless me. And in contrast is that, but yet I wasn't welcome to sleep on the floor of that church. There's the difference. You know, things like that happen quite frequently throughout that journey with that cross. There's something I want to leave you with in closing. I have one more story to tell, and then we're going to call her quits for today. In churches across the United States, we all have our stories of the atrocities that we have seen take place. I mean, especially those who've gone to church and have been part of, of, of any sort of a religious community. There is a, a very wealthy man at the church I used to go to in Phoenix. This wealthy man made big donations to the church and was friends with the pastor of that church. Well, this wealthy man seduced a new convert who happened to be a friend of mine. He seduced her. He had an affair with her. And then that man's wife found out about it. So what happened? They ostracized her from the church, kicked her out of the church, Yet that man goes to lunch with the pastor of the church when and the just thing to do would have been to kick that rich man out of the church and embrace this young girl who had been seduced by him and to help her along with her walk with God. So, pastors of our churches today are being held accountable for how they've been taking care of this vineyard. And I got a word for you people. 
all the church leaders across the United States who have things happen like that in your churches all the time, and you look the other way because you want to keep the money coming in. There is a passage from Matthew in Matthew twenty three twenty seven, And the words of our Christ say this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are likened to whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Woe unto you! Christ also talks about a time that's coming in the future, that on that day a group of people will say, Lord, Lord, but didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we do many great works in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. If you're interested, our book, Remnants of Ur, is available on Amazon. If you have any questions or comments, our email is remnantsover at gmail.com. <laughs>